Gather round, children. This is the Dice Tower Network. The Broken Meeple, Season 2, Episode 31, Value for Money. Welcome to The Broken Meeple, a solo podcast devoted to board games, card games, the people who play them, and all other manner of things besides. On today's episode, I give a heads up about a recent FAQ I've put out, mention a few odds and sods here and there, but then get onto the crux of the episode, which is about discussing what represents true value for money in a board game. Hi everyone, I'm your host Luke Hector and this is the Broken Meeple Podcast. Thank you for listening and from what I've been hearing, a lot of you actually are listening to this. I was a little bit uminaring as to whether this podcast was actually getting people like actually listening to it, you know, whether it was you know still worth carrying on, but from a recent FAQ I've put out, I've apparently been getting quite a few responses from people either saying they do listen to this podcast or they would if they knew more about it. And that's probably down to my fault more than anything else. So what I will be doing is that I will be posting the the link to this podcast on all my YouTube videos for those of you that have watched the YouTube videos and not really found out about this. But someone also gave me the idea of a suggestion which was to post the audio for this podcast on YouTube. So not to like put the YouTube videos on the podcast. No, not that way around, the other way around. So what would be what would happen is that I would simply just put up a video with a thumbnail or a picture or something, and leave it there. Literally just be a half an hour to a one hour video of pure audio with a thumbnail. I've seen some of the people do this, and some people get their entire social media and various media content from YouTube. So why should they miss out on the podcast just because it's not in that particular format? Why not cover both bases? So I'll probably start doing that soon. I'll I'll probably do it with this one onwards, really, and just might as well carry it on, because it's no skin of my teeth to simply just go, fine, we'll upload an audio file with a thumbnail. Nice and easy. So hopefully that will get some more people listening to this, and of course I do want to develop this podcast a bit more into the future. So what is this FAQ I'm on about? Well, I haven't put it up on the podcast yet, so maybe I will, maybe I'll do a thing like that, but I don't know if I'll have time, really, in the near future. But what I did was I put out another FAQ video on YouTube. I did this last year, when I first started Season 2, and as I look back on it, wow, the video quality wasn't great back then. Thank, thank goodness things have improved since then. But it was basically that some people do occasionally send me questions on email or Facebook and Twitter, and I kind of, I might answer them at the time, but I'll usually collate them together in a little book and think, alright, I'll address this for everybody if it tends to be a recurring thing. Other times it will be one of those things where, you know, people will just randomly speak to me at a convention or, you know, on social media and ask the question. It's like, yeah, maybe I should actually address this. And for other bits, it's also an excuse to say a bit more about what my channel's about, what I'm about, what I do, and what I want to do for developing the channel. Now, this FAQ has gone out, it's already uploaded, but there was an important piece at the end of the video, something like the last 15 minutes. It focuses on what I want to do with the YouTube channel and the podcast. And I asked for feedback from a lot of people, and I've been getting a lot of feedback back, including some a bit of an influx in uh, Patreon supporters, so thank you a lot for those who have you know recently given in PayPal donations and you know uh, Patreon 
donations as well, you know, subscriptions, because the influx of generosity I've received lately has been overwhelming compared to what it's been doing for a while, so much so that I actually have just about, I have enough money on the Patreon now to not only cover all my hosting fees for things like the podcast and that and my blog, but I can also cover Adobe Premiere Pro subscription. And I'm not far off from the Adobe Suite subscription. I might chuck in, I mean, if I get more on the Patreon, I'll probably upgrade to that, or I might just take it out of my own pocket and make up the difference, you know, and just let it make up later. But it would be good to get the Adobe Creative Crowd Suite. So Adobe Premiere Pro, Lightroom, um, Photoshop I've already got, but I could do with an updated version. Uh, what else is on there? You know, After Effects and a few other things. Basically, the whole Adobe collection. It's expensive, though. You're talking £50 a month, and the Patreon doesn't quite reach that level yet. But it's certainly something I want to do because that means I can put out better audio, maybe, if um, Audition on Adobe is better than Audacity. Uh, maybe it's got more options that I need to know about. But it will also mainly allow me to get Adobe Premiere Pro, which means I can hopefully get some better video content out there because as, as all right as Camtasia is, it's very limiting. It's really more suited to screen captures and tutorial videos. It's a bit limited on what effects I can do for the video and it looks a bit dated when I put stuff out, in my opinion. Despite the kind feedback that people are saying, I still think it could be better. I think Adobe will have more tools and more weird things for me to do. Of course, it's gonna be a slow transition because obviously I need time to actually learn the software. It's a bit more complicated than Camtasia was. Camtasia did at least have the user friendliness advantage. So. No, throughout the rest of this year, I'll be learning how to use that software. I'm not going to subscribe to it just yet because I'm going on holiday next week. I'm going back up to the Lake District to where I was in August, you know, the same place I took my ex, funny enough. But mainly because I'm going up there solo, I'm glamping, and I'm going to try and conquer as many hill peaks as I can in the five nights that I'm there. So Scaffell Pike, uh, maybe Helvellyn if um, if I if the weather is good. I hear that's quite dangerous on that ridge, so maybe I'll go up with a guided tour if I can. I don't know if that's something But I'm going to basically do lots of hill climbing, and it is a health and mind retreat. I need to get my body in shape, you know, do lots of hill climbing, and I need to clear my mind of everything blog-related and everything work-related and everything just general, like, social and love-life-related. I need to wipe the slate clean and start fresh. Come back into October and just gun it. You know, really start going at it. But I feel like I need this little break. So, you know, looking forward to it, but I'll be leaving on Saturday, coming back on Thursday. There may be content going up during that time if I can get some done before then, but otherwise you may just have to accept that that's going to be a little break. But you'll at least have this podcast to listen to, so I suppose there's something. Anyway, where was I on about? Oh yes, the FAQ itself. So the feedback has asked about what I'm going to do for developing YouTube and the podcast. YouTube was more about, you know, firstly, the intros I do on the YouTube videos, those gags. They're right, but as I look back through a lot of videos, there's a lot more of them that I think, oh, that didn't work too well, compared to ones that I thought did work well. I thought one of my best ones that I quite liked was the one I did for Brass, which was where I did the sort of Empire Strikes Back uh, Jedi Dagobah scene with like Luke's hallucination with Darth Vader, but I put it as Martin Wallace and put the game as Brass. I thought that worked quite well, but then there were others I look at, like the Lowlands one, where I tried to do the sheep tsunami thing, and that just looked weird and horrible. You know, again, Camtasia limitations. So I asked the question if, uh, do you need those gags? I mean, do they make the video for you? Can I take them out? And 
originally I thought I was going to be easy going to say, yeah, just cut them. But now more and more people are saying, nah, the gags are a good laugh. You know, they're nice, but do what you got to do. So I'm in two minds. Keep them or don't. They do take a lot of time to edit and a lot of time to think up the gag and record it. That time could be better spent on podcasts, on YouTube, and also doing other YouTube content. So still I'm in an iron about that. So I need your feedback on that, definitely. But for the rest of YouTube stuff, I obviously want to do reviews and top 10s. However, I want to focus a bit more on top 10s because with reviews, it's kind of hard to tell what review is going to be popular. And if a review doesn't get a certain amount of views, it kind of defeats the point of actually doing the review video in the first place. But some are more popular than others. With top 10s, however, they're always popular. I love top 10s. A lot of other people out there love top 10s. And so they are my most popular videos. So I want to do a lot more of them. Of course, I need to do a little few less reviews in order to make up the room, or I need to start streamlining how I edit and record these things. Um, on top of that, the other thing I wanted to do was solo playthrough videos. And this is obviously going to take time. I might have to do one, you know, slightly less of this, you know, less top tens or less reviews to make up for it. Because I like to put out some other kind of show on here. And I tried that with Board Game Approved. And the problem with Board Game Approved was nobody wanted to watch it. This was a series I did on YouTube where I recorded myself playing app games on Steam on my PC. I thought it was a decent idea. I didn't know of anyone else who was doing it. And I thought I get to show you a Steam app and that's great. Each video barely got like a hundred and something views. And that's if they got a hundred views. They were really unpopular. Nobody wanted to watch them really. So I gave up on that series. And, you know, convention videos as well. I did the UK Games Expo. I did more video content during then. One video was popular-ish. The rest of them, again, barely a hundred and something views. Nobody really cared. And this is like recording live footage of games that are the new hotness, like Century Easter Wonders at the time and things like that. It was kind of weird. But, yeah, most people just didn't want to see it. They liked my review video and preview video of the whole convention, but in terms of the live footage, they weren't particularly fussed. So the effort of doing that just didn't seem to justify it. So I probably won't be doing any more convention videos, and I probably won't be doing the board game approved. Well, I definitely won't be doing the board game approved. But I want to do solo playthrough videos. Now, this is not going to be rules teaching videos. Well... Rules teaching to an extent, but what I want to focus on is solo modes, particularly just in games. So it's one thing to say, all right, I'm going to show you this playthrough of this game, free player, whatever. No, no, no. What I want to tackle is solo playthroughs of the solo modes in games, particularly the ones where the solo mode is unique from the rest of the game. You know, so for example, the gallerist has a unique solo mode that's different from how the game plays. Anachrony has the chronobot. Uh, Siphon Viticulture have the Automna, so does Gaia Project. Uh, Coffee Roaster is a solo game only, you know, and, and the Otis has got a variant that is solo that you can print off the net. So I want to go through solo modes in games because at the moment there doesn't seem to be a lot of content out there doing it. So it seems like there's a niche in the market for me to give it a shot. The responses to that has been overwhelmingly positive. My God, I think everybody wants me to do this. Which means I'm going to have to devote some time to it, which will impact on other things. 
And also I need to figure out how I'm going to do the setup because obviously I've got to fit the lighting in this room and we're, we're in the UK. So all you lot in America, I envy you. I am super jealous of you because every time I see you guys put up pictures, game rooms, you guys live in mansions compared to us in the UK. You've got your basic room or something is like three times the size of most of our master bedrooms. It's ridiculous. We are packed in like sardines over here in the UK and it impacts on how much room I have in this game room. I mean, just looking around now, I already feel cramped. But for a solo mode, I need to find a way to get my camera, two cameras actually. One, my mobile phone on a gimbal device that can uh, be my kind of Rado style thing, but with maybe less motion sickness. And the camera needs to be on a fixed tripod looking at the game, so I've got two views effectively. One of the whole game and one of me doing a close-up with the handheld thing and have the two sequences like merged together like with B-roll footage. Sounds good, and I want to put it into practice. Gonna need time, so... We'll see, but you know, that's kind of what the feedback has been on that video, but if you are on my YouTube channel and you haven't seen the FAQ video back, then I urge you to, you know, let me know what the answers to some of these questions that I say on the end, you know, how to develop the channel, and of course, feedback on the podcast would be great. What do you want to hear on the podcast? Are you happy for me to just basically rant and rave about a discussion topic each week? Do you want me to include some other type of top 10 on this? Do you want me to try a different segment? Anything in particular that you would like to hear? Because at some point I'm going to have to migrate this into season three of the podcast. But before I decide, right, we're going to scrap this season and move on to season three, I need to obviously have a format for season three that's constant from the get-go, not one that I sort of start and then suddenly, all oh, right, I've changed everything. It needs to be certain. So I'll wait for you guys to fill me in on that. Anyway, right, that's enough about FAQs and what have you. Um, I've already mentioned about the holiday, like I say, holiday next week. I can't really think of much else that's happening. Oh, yes, well, actually, no, one very important thing that's happening. Dice Portsmouth are very close to opening up their board game cafe in the in Portsmouth. It's so close, guys. They've got a provisional opening date of somewhere around the first half of October. And I thought that was slightly ambitious, but they seem confident they can do it. We've got a personal screening soon, you know, me and some other guests like private friends and family who are going to test out the cafe, give them feedback, you know, buy some food and drink and play games. It's going to be amazing. Um, then there's an official sort of press and business event that's happening like the week after, which I'm involved in, obviously being a blogger and a friend of the people running it, obviously. And, yep, yeah, it's soon happening. You know, I can't believe it. Years in the making. And finally, it looks like it's going to be a reality. It's next to the Wedgwood Rooms in Albert Road, Portsmouth, UK. Dice Portsmouth is the name of the sort of business that's happening. It's basically called Dice. It'll be a board game cafe. It's going to have a decent selection of, you know, non-alcoholic and alcoholic drinks. A selection of deli food and some more healthy food so it won't just be like cheesy nachos and greasy food no you'll be able to get stuff like you know marinated olives and uh, you know various snacks that are more healthy than the average thing so really looking forward to it the place looked great and this is just in construction stage cannot wait i will see you there because i hope to move my wednesday games club to that place as well cannot wait if you are anywhere near portsmouth uk i urge you to give the place a look when it finally opens So the crux for this episode, value for money. What exactly am I going on about here? Well, this is in response to some comments that I've had 
on Facebook and on YouTube. Now, it's not just in reference to what I put out. I've seen this on other people's videos and other discussion threads as well. And it's always been something that's kind of not irked me, but I've always had the mean to address this. And finally, I get a chance to. Value for money in a board game. Because when I comment on my videos, you will notice that I do tend to mention how much the game costs as a factor for deciding what I personally rate it. Now, I'm not trying to say that this game is a 10, therefore you should buy it immediately type thing. You know, it's just a personal rating I give things, and I'm actually tempted to take that number system out in the future. But what I tend to do is I do take the cost of the game into account and a lot of people, you know, well actually about 50-50, you know, people come back saying that the cost shouldn't matter. Now some come back and say that I'm glad that you take into account the cost because that is important and I'm glad you do it. But there are some that really like to let rip, rip at me for including cost as a factor. Now I don't get the negative part of this. Because surely the cost of a game has to matter when you are deciding whether it's one that you want to purchase out of your own hard-earned cash, and also whether the game deserves all the praise it gets based on how much it costs. You know, people will love things like Gloomhaven, and that will cost about £130, gives you apparently endless replay value, so you could argue that £130 is pretty good value for Gloomhaven on the basis it has never-ending content. But £130 is still a lot of money, and the component quality doesn't really justify the £130. It's more the content that justifies the £130. So when people say this is like one of the best games ever, well, I should hope it's one of the best games ever if you're going to spend £130 on a game, because that is not pocket money. So there's other occasions where in videos I've been very specific on the cost and it does throw a spanner in the works. Like, uh, let's have a look back at my shelf and see if I can find a really good example uh, of like cost-effective games. Uh, da, 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 da. Um, let's see. Well, actually, first starts my first Sentinels in the Multiverse, you know, my true love of a board game. Sentinels in the Multiverse, you can buy the base set of the Enhanced Edition for £30 or less. Pretty cheap for a card game with a lot of cards and dividers. But you get eight heroes, you get four villains, you get multiple environments, you get a lot of replay value in that box. And that will set you up for a fair while with Sentinels for a relatively cheap price. You want to buy the expansions? That's your decision. But, you know, it's not too bad with that. But then on the flip side, let's look at another game that I remember spending a lot of money on. Rising Sun. Remember the Kickstarter for that? Woo! If you wanted everything with that, you were paying in excess of £200 plus for that Kickstarter. Even if you just bought the normal Rising Sun with a bit of extras, you were probably paying a good £75 to £100 plus. It was quite a pricey Kickstarter, to be the say the least. And it is one of my favourite games. I do love Rising Sun. But, even I have to admit that for that amount of money probably didn't justify the expense. It's a great game and I love it, but it's a lot of money I spent on that, so it had better be. Now the counter-argument I get a lot is that if someone enjoys a game so much that they play it over and over again, or it's one of their favourite games, then the game automatically is value for money. It's hard to really say whether that's true or not, because it's one thing to say that for this person, it's value for money, but then it might not be value for money for someone else. 
A classic example of this could be The Mind. Remember that, you know, Shabako, that whole thing of it being nominated for Spur the Yaris? I love The Mind. I hate that game with a passion. Loads of people love it though. But it is a cheap card game you can get for less than a tenner. So, what, like eight, nine pounds for this card game? I mean, granted, the components kind of justify it. But even I have to say, I don't like the game at all. But it's a cheap card game that you can get for less than a tenner. You know, you can get your money's worth out of the game before you even decided you hate it. It's quite a cheap, it's a cheap little thing. But then on on the positive side, Sushi Go. The original Sushi Go is such a great gateway drafting game and you can buy that for like about seven, eight pounds for the original tin set. It's a perfect example of value for money. The amount of plays you get, the how good the game is for such a cheap price. And of course, this whole thing with value for money is going to be quite subjective at the end of the day anyway. But I always do have to factor in the cost in my review videos because sometimes the component quality doesn't measure up to the cost or maybe the game itself doesn't measure up to the cost. Um, here's another really good example. Who remembers Council of Four? Council of Four is a cool mini or not game that came out and has pretty much died, as in does anybody actually play it? <laughs> but, you know, I, I put a positive review of that up. Sort of positive. I think I gave it a seven max. And it's a decent enough game. You're effectively on this board, on this map, connecting up cities, getting bonuses as merchants, basically. You have to get the bonus tiles in order to build in certain cities. And you're basically trying to set up a little combo engine. Now, this game can set you back in the region of 50 to 60 pounds. Possibly more, I'm not sure. Or was it about 50 to 60, I'll say. Because it's got miniatures for the councils that you have to do. And the sole purpose of these councils is just the different colours dictate what cards you have to play in order to influence them. That is their sole purpose in the game. And yet there are individually sculpted miniatures for each of the different colours, and there's at least five or six colours, I think. I forget. But that's a lot of big miniatures. They all come in the box. Uh, your little merchant dudes are little mini miniatures. Again, they are unique to each player color. And the board has got the beautiful artwork on it as typical sort of cool mini or not style. And you've got the cards as well. So component quality, you can say, yeah, okay, this justifies the price tag. But as I mentioned in the review, with Council of Four, the game is this dirt simple, almost gateway level, possibly even gateway level, card game with a little bit of area control on the map. The rules are very simple. The game is barely, what, 45 minutes long? An hour tops or something? You should probably only take an hour tops to play this game. And it probably takes half that time to set it up and take down because of all the miniatures you've got to get out of the plastic box and put away. So you're paying a lot of money for a game that has a very high setup time and takedown time and is pretty much just a general gateway Euro game. You know, that's one of those occasions where I think the cost factor hurts it because you're paying a lot of money for what is should be a simple game. You don't need the flashy miniatures, you could just have a colourful board, you could have decent tiles or something for the council, and that would be fine. Why do you need to have all those miniatures? It just inflates the cost, and it makes it, as, as much as I say Council of Four is a decent game, I think it's pretty poor value for money. It's just not worth that expense to buy the thing. Uh, big box editions are another example of this, where they throw in everything in the kitchen sink for a lot of other games. Uh, El Grande's done this, and most people barely use any of the variants in El Grande. 
Uh, Agricola has recently done it with the um, Agricola All Creatures Great and Small. Now that's a decent value for money set. I think you pay something like £30 for it, £30-something pounds, and you get the base set as well as the two expansions. So you get a lot of replay value, it's not that expensive, and it's a really cool two-player game with some decent components. Okay, that's pretty good value. But I've got to review um, Carson City, the big box edition, uh, the big black box. There's a few component upgrades in there. I'm not going to say it's the Ritz in terms of component quality, but it's decent enough. But I think you're paying something like £75 for that game in the UK. £75, that's a lot of money for one game. And it does throw in an expansion, which was only a small expansion, and these various variants that you can tweak the game with. But will you use these variants? And some of the variants don't necessarily justify the extra price tag. So is £75 good value for money? Well, I'll have to find out when I actually review the game properly, which will be coming out soon, probably early October. But yeah, it's, it's stuff like this. And I understand that it's a hard topic to discuss. But for me, it's not just simply how many plays I get out of it. Because you have expectations for how many plays you should get out of it, or how much you should enjoy a game based on the cost. And there will be times where I'll think, I enjoy the game, but do I have to have spent this much money on it? Or perhaps, you know, or you might think, I've enjoyed my time with it, but yeah, I've spent too much money on it. I've actually got a top 10 list I'm doing soon. Um, top 10 games I love, but spent too much money on. And they're going to be games that I enjoy, but have to accept that, wow, I sunk a fair bit of cash into this. Was it really necessary? Or, you know, <laughs> should I have spent it on something else? You know, such is the way of most hobbies. You find that you spend way more on your hobby than you actually think you do. Getting back to the whole, you know, what games can be good value for money, some of the best examples, remember Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert, two of the best gateway games you can drop in front of someone. Great co-ops, great component quality, they look colourful, and the cheapness of what they are. When they have those little toy components in, and the various, like, you know, nice colourful tiles and decent tiles in the tin boxes, they're so cheap. Forbidden Desert's like a, what, a £20 game or something? And Forbidden Island, you could get that, well, I don't know if you can still get it for the same price, but it was like £12, barely that or something at times. You can get it really cheap on second-hand sales, and it's a decent co-op game that you can play with the whole family easily. It's not hard to set up and take down, it's not hard to teach, it's a perfect gateway game. And for so cheap, that's barely any money at all. There's perfect value for money in that game. Whether you love the game or not, you got to admit, you're not paying very much for a game that is definitely going to get you the plays. And there are some games I've got on my shelf which I think have been pretty poor value for money just because of how often they get played. Uh, Forbidden Stars, I paid quite a bit for that game and it doesn't get played that often even though I do enjoy it a lot when I do play it. Um, and usually one thing that tends to influence this is expansions, particularly the ones that just pump them out like crazy. Eldritch Horror, various LCGs, uh, Mansions of Madness, and you know, Fantasy Flight, for example, you know, they put out so much expansions that by the time you realize that you've bloated the game too much, it's like, wow, I spent a lot of money on this, didn't I? Uh, deck builders like Dominion, uh, Card Builder, Mystic Veil, uh, most other deck builders, I guess, in general, just things that end up with a lot of expansions can, you know, suck up that value for money aspect. You know, Mystic Veil is uh, what I just mentioned. I think I love the game. 
I think it's great, particularly with the Conclave expansion. I think that's like that Equinox variant has just solved a lot of problems with it, and I love the game. But I probably wouldn't own this game if I didn't get the expansions as review copies, because wow, they're expensive. It's a good £35, I think, for the base set. You don't get that much variability in it or that much replay value. And then the expansions are a good £20-something a piece each. And they just basically give you more of the same with maybe one or two mechanics. Conclave was like the biggest sort of change. But by the time you've expanded it to the point where the replay value is like, yes, this is a great level and it's all sorted, wow, you spent quite a lot of money on this game, didn't you? You know, I was lucky enough that I didn't have to spend as much money on there because I was doing reviews. But for you, the personal consumer, it's a different story. If you paid for every single expansion for Mystic Veil vale and the big box and the base set, you've sunk a lot of cash into this game. Was it worth it? <laughs> you know, could it have not been, you know, could this not have been achieved with less money? So it's kind of food for thought on that one. You know, I get the feedback both positive and negative, And to be honest, regardless, I'm going to keep mentioning the cost factor with most reviews I do. If it's a fairly balanced cost, you know, typical, I'm not really going to care. But if something is dirt cheap for the greatness that you get or pretty expensive for either the greatness or the lack of it that you get, I'm going to point it out. It's going to be something I'm going to do in my videos and, you know, that's just the way it's going to be. So that's my two cents, effectively, on value for money. I'll be interested to know from you guys on this, you know, what do you think that, what do you, what do you think constitutes value for money? Are we talking like multiple plays? Are we talking component quality? Are we talking just how much you enjoy the game? Or do you have a set monetary limit that you think a game should cost? You know, let me know your thoughts. I'll be interested to know about this, and particularly as I'm going to put this up on YouTube as well, with the audio file in there, you know, Hopefully I'll get some comments on the YouTube channel as well. I suppose that's actually a pretty good idea. I have to thank the guy for that. So yeah, that's it for me on this podcast, episode 31. I'm going to get ready for bed more than anything else because it's quite late. I've just been, I've just come back from my friend's house. We were playing near and far, uh, four player. We're doing the uh, a character campaign and they get frustrated with me for the fact that I win every single game of it, but they're not like veteran gamers, I do have a bit of an advantage over them in terms of being able to spot opportunities in that game, but I'm teaching them, you know, I'm letting them know the mistakes, you know, that you should have a focus and you should go for, you know, the same thing and not deviate, that you shouldn't take too many risks with dueling and quest rolls if you don't think the dice are in your favour, do not underestimate trade routes, you know, stuff like that. But we enjoy it, we have a blast, and like I say, it's great to do it. we got a couple more games of this character campaign, so we do it every fortnight, and then I'll teach them other games. You know, I'm there every fortnight teaching them something new. Near and Far is just something that we've already played the uh, 11 map campaign through, and I love the game. Top 100, I forget where it was. Top 50, I think, but yeah, Near and Far, solid game. Anyway, I'm digressing here. So, yeah, like I say, holiday next week, so content will be a bit limited during that time. I need the reset. I'll try and get out what I can before then, but I leave on Saturday very early morning. So I'll get this podcast up. I might get an announcement video about my thoughts on the FAQ. Um, I've just put up a review for Carson City, the card game. But unlikely that there'll be any more reviews or top 10s before I leave. So probably just the announcement video in this podcast and that'll be it for about a week. Not that long, I'm only going till next Thursday, and I'll have next weekend free, 
to you know get on with stuff you know after Friday night. So you know normal service will resume soon, but everybody needs a break because the last thing I want to do with this the blog and a hobby that I enjoy a lot is hit burnout. You know, I don't want work or my gym or my love life or lack of it, you know, or, or, or the requirements to keep up a blog, YouTube channel and podcast solo, bear in mind, you know, with a full-time job, I don't want the pressures to make me hit burnout. So these little breaks help, you know, my general lifestyle of going to the gym and trying to chill every now and again, you know, help. And like I say, the more I can streamline this process of editing videos and that and getting feedback from you guys and hopefully help on the Patreon and PayPal donations and that will help also to keep me to manage my time and to manage the stress levels a bit. So anyway, that's it for me. I'm going to head off. So thank you for listening to this podcast, episode 31 of season two of The Broken Meeple. And remember, no matter whether it cost you the ends of the earth or it was a couple of shillings down the thrift store, it's still only again. So take care, and I'll see you next time. Have a good night. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy life to listen to this podcast presentation. If you like what you hear, then please check out my other material on my various other platforms. Firstly, the blog, brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk, where you can find all my written reviews and links to my other material. You can find me on my Facebook page. You can also find me on Twitter at The Broken Meeple where you can ask me questions, get in touch and just generally have a good conversation. You can also check out my YouTube channel where I'm posting anything from a review to a top 10 list to board game app playthroughs and hopefully much more in the future. And speaking of the future, if you want to support The Broken Meeple, then please subscribe to the Patreon campaign where you can assist in helping me keep this blog up and running and try out new ideas in the future. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and I hope you enjoy listening to my other material. For now, take care and enjoy playing games. For me and everyone else on the Dice Tower Network, have fun gaming. Remember folks, Dice Tower Network cares. 